Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. It's a great conversation today with Zafiria Bell. She shares a lot about her experience in unhealthy relationships, including knowing before she walked down the aisle that she probably shouldn't have been, that everything within her was saying that she shouldn't be going through this marriage and it only took till the honeymoon for her instincts to be confirmed. And then having to go through some awful experiences to come out of that, the other side of that. The great thing is, is that Zafiri has learned so much in the process about herself, about relationships, about the importance of being true to yourself in these situations, and then importantly, helping other people to go through that as well. If you've had any challenging relationships over the years, if or even if you're just looking for a tune-up for your own relationship, you'll take heaps out of this one. I know I did, and some deep conversations, but also very entertaining and plenty of laughs as well, so you'll love it. Hi, everyone, and welcome. My guest this week, Zafiria Bell. How are you, Zafiria? I'm excited and a little bit nervous, to be honest. <laughs> Very cool. I hope I've got the pronunciation correct. I know we had, to had a bit of a laugh about how many different <laughs> versions of that you've heard. Exactly. You got it right. <laughs> now, for those who are only listening and can't see this, you are sitting on a on a actual throne. I am. Correct. <laughs> Very cool. Tell us about the throne. <laughs> I had this throne custom made. <laughs> Like, not. I literally had this throne. It is massive. It is much bigger than I was expecting. I had it custom made. I live in Bali and I wanted a really nice chair for recording in. And then when it arrived, it was too big to even get in the door. So it's, it's a big throne. Wow. That is cool. Very cool. Um, I just, it's cool that you live in Bali. So all these things that you can just get done. Because I remember when we were there, it was like, I want to take that home. I want to take that home. And it's just like, yeah, that's not practical. But, uh, yeah, magic place for, for many things. But um, yeah. shopping. So before we jumped on, you mentioned that your grief started from the age of two with your parents' separation. Mm. I don't imagine you remember a lot about that time. But do you remember the impact of that through those early years at all? Mm. It's interesting. So I have no memory of childhood. I have just a few little sprinkles. So obviously that just gives you the massive hint that there's trauma in my childhood. I've just forgotten everything, chose not to remember any of it. But I can definitely, as an adult, see the impact that that grief 
has had on who I am and how I show up in the world and how I showed up from probably most of my memories start at about teenage years. Yeah. So, yeah. And how has that been? Like what specifically has shown up that you can link back? Because when, when you've done a bit of work that you have, like you often don't join the dots until like later on and then you look back and go, how did I not see that, right? Yeah, I know. I know, like now it's all very obvious. Well, if I look back on, you know, cause, because for me it was my dad left. I never saw him again. I saw him when I was 12 and then I saw him a little bit when I was 18. And then I, did, I only just reconnected with him after like, I don't know, 20-something years. So I, for me in my reality that meant that my dad abandoned me and he left and whether that's the truth of what was going on in their marriage, it doesn't really matter. All that matters is what experience I had. And so because of that, I can now see how I showed up in relating my whole life and how I related to men and what I thought was expected of me from men and just how much really I guess I wanted their love and attention because I hadn't had it. So I can definitely see like now the almost like latching energy that I had and the neediness of like, please, anything you want, I'll do it. Anything, as long as I get to have your love and be in a relationship. So I feel like that's like the biggest piece that I can watch this thread through even friendships, even male friendships, male, any relationships with men up until probably a decade ago when I really started to journey I guess the work that that I do now and and understanding yeah. myself in a different way. Mm. I get a feeling it's going to be a bit like this in this conversation, some weird energy stuff. But I know shit. I could hear drums beating in the background. There. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's a new one. <laughs> I don't know where that's come from. Um, we might revisit that. I'm sure it'll be <laughs> in the conversation. So. Do you mind like sharing, because there'd be a lot of women who are listening and maybe mm-hmm. men who have had this experience with women as well. Mm-hmm. What sort of things are we talking? Like were, were you, um, did it result in you having men that would be like, oh, can you leave me alone already? Or was it more um, men who would take advantage of that uh, I'll do anything sort of ends you? It was more that men would take advantage of it. What's very interesting also when I track parts of myself is that I created this beautiful magic of being able to lure men in as well, like the the kind of, I guess, unhealthy feminine side of I'm just going to lure in and get what I want as Mm -hmm. much as there was the undercurrent of please, I'll do anything that you want, which means that I in my life crossed my own boundaries way too many times Mm -hmm. that I just didn't really know. Like in intimacy, I just wasn't there. I just wasn't in my body at all. But I would give of my body thinking that, well, that means that if I give of my body, that means that you love me and I am giving you what you want, which also gives me what I need, which is attention. Huh. So... Were you just drifting off to somewhere else and 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 were you hearing experiences from your friends going, shit, that's like nothing like what I'm experiencing? Yeah, absolutely. Like I think I just, which I actually sadly think quite a few women do, is, you know, I had seen things online so I knew, oh, okay, that's how these women act and behave. Maybe I should just do that. So make all the right sounds and the right actions, but really I just was not – 
like you could probably ask me straight after being intimate with someone like how was that and we're like oh it's great i don't really know i don't remember it continue the act like even then and and yeah which now with all the work that i do i look back on that and i think oh my goodness like what the damage that did to my body and the trauma that that created Mm. but also how sad how sad to have missed so many years of actual intimacy and instead just be kind of being a doll you know it's it's pretty sad yeah now this has been the experience of conversations i've had uh, my own experience as well and there can be a certain leverage that comes with intimacy in, in relationships was that something that you were aware of and used to your advantage as well oh yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, so here we go. I'm like, I knew you were going to lure stuff out of me that I don't. That I don't. I'm, I'm told you I'm a complete open book, right? So I put myself up for this. So, sorry, <laughs> mom and dad, if you listen, <laughs> maybe dad, turn it off now. Stop, yeah, stop. yeah. Turn skip, it off. Ahead. skip ahead. <laughs> exactly right. Um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think, uh, what was I? early 20s and I started stripping because I was like, oh, I can use this energy to get what I literally to get what I want from men. And I did incredibly well at that because I knew perfectly how to play the game. If I play the game in this way, you are going to empty your wallet and you'll walk out of here with nothing. And which also makes me feel so uncomfortable now. But at the time, as you can imagine, that gave me so much confidence like, oh, look at how popular I am. <laughs> mm. Now I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. All right. I think you'll relate to this. I added uh, a suggestion to me. I can't remember the conversation, but it was like uh, female sex workers are, are like healers in a, in a sense, right, because they're creating a safe space. Do you look back there and go, well, make some of those moments you were actually – creating a, a, an incredible environment for these men that obviously it's it's not a way you would choose to do it now, but it would have been a positive experience for them in more ways than, well, probably far more ways than just the intimate factor. Absolutely. So actually there's part of me that almost wishes that I was brave enough to go back to that space now knowing what I know now because mm. I would hold a very, very different energy and really a field of love and that's where it's come to right is that I do hold such a beautiful field for men in my life either clients or also just men who I care about because I've been through this journey I hold a love that other people don't hold because of that experience but when I look back I can see the times where it was not healthy for anybody what I was doing. And then I can see there's probably about five or six specific clients that I can look back to and see the greatest gift that I gave them in their healing. Mm. Oh, yeah, I feel that. Um, So interestingly, when you said the courage to go back, so this might be a more general courage to go back element, but it might be specific. It was like I got a stabbing pain in my abdomen. Like is there that's usually a combination of that sacral area and, and maybe some fear aspect is, is that, does that sort of resonate for you? If you think back about that, that idea of doing that. 
It's interesting. I've gone into a few clubs as the woman that I am now to look at the woman that I was then to really look at that experience. And yeah. and I have some friends who do that work now in a very, very healing way. For me, my only fear is external judgment. Mm. Back then I didn't care. And now I'll tell you that I don't care what anybody else thinks, but that's a lie because I do care if somebody saw me in that particular environment yet I'm very happy to work around sex and sexuality. Like actually I'm today have just launched a program called Sacred Oral and really supporting women in how to love their men in that space. I think I saw the image for that uh, a couple of days ago, which was very eye-catching. <laughs> <laughs> the big lips. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. <laughs> Yeah, that's very eye-catching. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's pushing my own edges as well because yeah. what that is is bringing – I've had these gifts for a long time and I've I've done different work that I've kept under the covers. I've done plenty of tantric work. I've done plenty of sexual healing work and I've not wanted the world to know because maybe they would judge me or what would my parents think. And I think through the process of healing, I can look back and see all the different pieces that I've healed – right, to come to this place where now I hold what I would say is a, a pretty clean energy around it. And, look, I'm still a human being, so I'm, I'm still going to have stuff, but it's like I can step in the world and stand by the fact that my grief and my pain and my weird explorations brought me to a place that not only healed me but allows me to support others as well. Yeah, and, and you, when you were talking before about the energy, it was like from the moment we jumped on, like there was an instant connection and that 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 only happens when people are completely open to, well, let's just see where this goes. And so we're like, yeah. we were laughing within like two seconds, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so, <laughs> and, and I love that. Um, it's, it's really great that you highlighted that, you know, you say you don't care what everyone thinks and actually get them goosebumps talking about this. Like I'm the same, right? Like go nuts. But the reality is, is I don't think anyone gets to that point where they truly don't care because we're always interacting with people. But it's yeah. the ability to care less, way, way less than you did before, which is such a skill. Like I know, I know people get more concerned about people coming at me on my posts than I do. Like I just go, <laughs> I have a bit of a, a giggle and, and just think, well, they're just projecting whatever stuff's going on for them. And and you find a way just to, to, to give them a, a loving response, which doesn't mean it's a nice response, but it's... No, but I think that comes with with the maturity and with the the choosing to follow these paths and choosing to continue to heal and be open is that, I mean, I, I can look back to a decade ago when I kind of started this, I guess, public figure, for want of a better word, path, yeah. and when people would comment, comment something nasty or negative and hope, oh, my God, <laughs> I not know how to do or I would, like, knock back at them. And now it's – I just think you come to a place where you – where you really just don't anymore. Like, okay, you're just a human trying to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I imagine if if we could get more people to that point where it's like, don't take offence. I, I saw a comedian do a bit on this saying, you know, we, we get all too offended these days and, and if everyone just didn't take offence to what, just let people do whatever they're doing and focus more on what, what they're doing, that would be so much easier. Unfortunately, there are times where it seems like we're actually getting more the other direction. There's there's more people wanting to divide. Like, 
I don't know if you've experienced this in the last couple of weeks. It's like that pre-election weird energy when everyone's got a bit of confusion. We've got their referendum on Saturday and it's like it's freaking yeah. people the fuck out, not for any other reason of whether it's frustration, one side to the other, whether it's confusion, whether it's uncertainty. It's bizarre. It's a bizarre impact it has on the on the collective psyche, right? Absolutely. Well, I'm witnessing it even from being in Bali and I guess kind of looking back and I see also that there's there's a lot of different things that play out but everybody fights against each other and they're trying to protect themselves and also they're scared of being on the wrong side and doing the wrong thing and so then that makes it even worse it's like it's a little bit out of control yeah and I think that's a big one it's that scared of being on the wrong side so we can I'm getting a bit sidetracked, but it's, it's fascinating, yeah. that, that, that people side of things. You mentioned that you didn't have any memories of, of those early years until you're about a teen. Mm-hmm. When you look back at photos and, and you get memories from, from your mum or from different people in your world, is it, does it paint a very different picture or is that confusing because you don't have the actual memory? Mm, so... I, it's a little bit confusing because I don't have the actual memory. Like obviously I can look at it and I, it's not a disconnect. It's not like I'm looking at someone who isn't me. Like I, I can fully see myself in it, but it's also weird to be someone who doesn't have the memories. You know, I know so many people that could look at a photo and say, oh my God, that was the day that we, the family went to blah. I, I don't have any of that. Mm. I wonder how much of that memory is the fact that that story about that photo or that moment's been told so many times so their memory is actually of the story rather than the reality of it. Yeah, actually, that's possible. So let's talk about story. Yeah. So you've been doing this work for 10 years plus, so you've done a fair bit of work on story. Mm-hmm. How important is that, is that early part of the story to your overall story? Mm. the separation of your parents and that disconnect with your dad it's everything so I feel like my early story and the bits that I don't remember are completely what controlled and created everything that I did in my life even to the point of what I do now like why you know why do I have such a deep drive to support women in being able to clear their emotions and clear their past trauma and to be able to find their pleasure. And, you know, it's always, I feel like our greatest gift in the world is also the thing that has been the most challenging for us. And I I really see that in my own life of this drive to want, it started out, I think, as the wounded healer, and it's not that now, but I feel like I started on the path of wanting to be the saviour. Make sure other women don't have to have the experience I had. You know, if I can save one woman from an abusive marriage or if I can save one woman from having sexual trauma, then everything would be worth it. And I can see back then how I even thought then my life would be worth it. Mm. If I could save one other woman, my life would be worthy. Oh, that's a good justification. I hadn't thought about it like that. Mm -hmm. I think what you described there is an important part of anyone's journey if they're helping people. It is helping people on what they've already experienced. Otherwise, the best best way to help someone is is because you've walked 
that path. Maybe not exactly, but you've you've experienced the different ups and downs of whatever that is. Yeah. So that's a great point. It's like making your life worthwhile. I was going to ask you some uh, before, but you've you've kind of mentioned it around the other way, talking about clients. That neediness energy that you talked about earlier, did that land you in some precarious or worse positions with men when you were growing up? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I... Yeah, I mean, I have some pretty not great sexual abuse moments in my life that I can look back at and see, which is very hard, right, because a lot of women are, are put with this, oh, it was your fault or you did it or it wouldn't have happened if you didn't wear the blah, blah, blah. Like it's really something that so many women receive, which is very difficult. So for much of my life I also held that. I think, oh, these sexual abuse things happened to me, but it's my fault. I must have done something to make that happen to me yeah and is that is it a guilt that 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 creates a shame or is it something else that that you're left feeling because of that stigma it do you know what it's a weird combination of emotions that goes on because there's the the inner little girl that's like, oh my god, I got the, I got the attention, I got mm. the love, even though it wasn't in the way that I would want it. And then there's the part that feels very devastated and the shame around what happened, and like, oh my god, is that my fault that that happened? And then there's a part of like, we don't want anyone else to know because what about the shame of anybody knowing that 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 happened to you? So I feel like there's so many layers in there, so many. Yeah, and my mind goes back to a past guest that talked about the the weird contradiction of it still feels nice from a physical perspective. So there's that whole other mind fuck of, oh, maybe it, maybe this is okay. Maybe like it, I can't even comprehend, but it must be a very confusing thought process and emotional response. And and can that continue for years? Like you must come across women you're helping now who have experienced it their whole life, just about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like most women are holding that their whole life because they don't come to the place where they even want to see it because to look at it is really incredibly painful. Like I remember the moments of, I remember the moments of the memory coming back up and of the cellular memory coming into my body and of having this flashback and throwing up and just like, oh, well, wow. that is a lot to be with her like I threw up and I cried a lot and I was living in a communal um property and it was a man who came running over to see if I was okay so then I freaked out and I yelled at him you know like there's there's so much that is hidden in our cellular memory that we just don't even know so I feel like most people are like push it down at all costs I never want to look at that Mm. Oh, so many questions around that. I imagine having done the work that you've done that you've created processes that don't feel as bad as what you experienced. Absolutely. So, yeah. So so if there's a, a female listening who's curious or wants to know yeah. more, can you set their mind at ease around it? Yeah. It's not going to be that, that dark hole, they think. Like I have the same challenge working with men that, that are so worried about what they might find if they dig. And it's important yes. that they know that, that it's not it's not a 
uh, a painful experience at all. In fact, it can be quite the opposite. And that's the thing is I, I wish that I had have had someone already guiding me a little bit in that area, which I guess is why I do what I do, right? <laughs> because yeah, yeah. what I now see and experience with my clients is that when they are willing to have a little peek, let's have a little peek under the covers and see what's there and and realise that I guess for me it's about knowing what's your capacity and can you have just a little look and a and when that's like this isn't safe, can you put, can you shut the door again? And can you then a little bit later take a little look and not feel like, oh, I have to blast the door open on all of this and have it all come back into me. I can simply do a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And I feel like, you know, it's the opposite. With sexual abuse, it's not a rip the Band-Aid off situation. Never mm. Band-Aid off and re-traumatize yourself, take it at your own pace. And then I feel like it's, you know, like opening a can of soft drink that's been shaken up and you just gently a little yeah. bit, a little bit, yeah. a little bit, yeah. a little bit, and the body starts to know, oh, I'm safe, I'm in this moment. I'm not in that moment again. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's the bit that freaks people out is that, oh, my God, I'm in it. And it's like, no, you're, you're not in it. You're here, you're safe. And I could feel the difference then when you were explaining it. That was a much more gentle feeling in my body than the abrupt part of you of telling the story. Um, so that that uh, certainly checks out with the uh, with the with the mirroring that energy. The other thing that, that I'm getting mirroring is like itchy right for, forehead and um, forehead and 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 leg, which is usually like left side. So that might be thinking, feminine thinking, and moving forward. So is that? Is that um, part of what you're having to help women do, uh, move them back more into that feminine, away from yeah. sort of masculine type thinking and more into the, you're going to be able to move forward if you start thinking about how you're meant to think as a, as a feminine person? Absolutely. So most, and it's a generalisation, so it's definitely not all, but most and I'll just say women, like obviously I know a lot of men who have also experienced sexual abuse. So I'm just going to kind of speak for myself. But um, oh, I just completely lost my train as I went on to that. That was <laughs> like, whoa. Feminine thinking and moving forward. Yeah, okay, thank you. That was a weird experience. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so most women then have put up, it's not safe to be a woman, so I'm going to be a man. And a lot of women then will show up more in their masculine. And I kind of don't love to be that person who speaks too deeply into the masculine and feminine because I do feel like we're all of it and we're both and it's a complex thing and we're becoming both to move past it. But for the sake of this conversation, it's like it's not safe to be a woman, so I'm going to bring my masculine forward to protect me and my inner dude, which I've done a lot of work with my own inner masculine. His name is Zach. He likes to be announced sometimes. So clearly he wants to be announced into the space. Is that that comes in the front to protect you. Mm, and of like, I'm not letting my woman get hurt again. I'm not letting something bad happen to her again. And so instead I'm going to show up and I'm going to be very, very masculine and I'm going to drive my body, which a woman's body is not really made for that energy if we're completely honest and yeah. so what I find is that the first step that I do with a lot of women is bring in the encouragement of their own masculine and feminine and that understanding and have them feel really safe with their with their dude basically have them laying in the arms 
of their dudes so that they can feel completely safe and they can begin to start to like, okay, I can soften. And as they soften, they start to feel safe in their own body. Mm. And, and that's where they can start moving forward. Absolutely. Because if you don't feel safe in your body, it's very, very hard to really do any work around intimacy with yourself and with your beloved as well, because it's just not safe. Yeah, love that. Um, that whole whoosh before was that was just me letting out the, the soft drink a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it was a wild feeling. I literally felt like I kind of spun upside down. <laughs> oh, very good. Um, oh, that's a weird one. Uh, I don't know how to ask this. Um Do you then work with women that where the gender identity is challenged or confused or like could you explain a little bit more about that? I think it's going to be really relevant. Our children, next generation, they've been educated on this perhaps to the extreme and maybe yeah, I've got some other thoughts on that, but for mm-hmm. older people that have had this experience and they, they have no context and confusion. So yeah. What, what, how does that present and, and mm. talk a little bit about that, how you mm. uh, may gently steer people through that? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Actually, I have a number of clients who would consider themselves to be to be trans, which is obviously a very interesting topic to talk about because I know it throws people on one side of the fence or the other side of the fence. And really where I sit is we're all having this human experience and we all deserve yeah. to be loved no matter what that what that journey is and how it appears. Um, so for me, I find, I, I feel like the reason that I attract um, people who, who are living that trans experience is because a part of me understands what it's like to have your masculine and your man at the front and really, to be honest, be a little confused. I would say, so my old hairdresser, who was a gay hairdresser, used to say to me, you are a gay man trapped in a woman's body. (laughs) And, yeah, and it's interesting. A number of my trans clients have said to me, I feel like you have a weird gender identity yourself and that's why it's safe and comfortable to talk to me is because I I do have this interesting kind of journey with it within myself and so I feel like it's part of people's exploration number one through their own trauma of like what part of that is because of the trauma experience that they're having being in this body and how can we unwind that part but also I see and I I don't know if you're aware that I channel for the blue diamond souls which is the next generation kind of from about 10 onwards 10 and younger coming through now and you know is our children that are coming through and having this very different gender experience whether it be a great thing or a not great thing I think there are parts of it that are really not great and parts of it that are part of where we're going um But what they've been showing is that we need to have this gender exploration that is very uncomfortable so that we can transcend because as a collective we're transcending something right now. Yeah, without 
the extreme biases that are coming in from both sides. It's of, scary. It's this, it's this, it's this, yeah. instead of losing sight of the human connection. It, it shows right. up. It shows up in all of these issues at the moment. Like we go back to the referendum at the moment. Like there's lots of extreme sides, but ultimately, like we got to find our own path to what works for us. Yes, and I don't think we can find that path whilst people are fighting in one direction or fighting in the other direction because it pushes people either into shame for who they are or it pushes them into now I'm going to be stubborn and I'm going to be even more this just to push against you because you're telling me I can't be that, so now watch me be it. Yes, and it comes back to something you said before about, um, I can't remember the exact words, but it's like you just – like the doubt and wanting to be right or wrong. It's like sometimes people like they'll argue a point. I actually did a, an individual episode on this just recently, just so that they have some peace within them. At yeah. least just let someone win this argument. So we, so we know once and for all, but life's not like that. It's not like that. And there is no winning the argument. This is the problem. This is the insanity that we as humans are doing is yeah. there there is no winner in any of the arguments that have kind of been going on in the world right now. Yeah, exactly right. And the sooner people that see that it's not a competition and it's uh, to our detriment to continue to divide, and then uh, the sooner we can get the fuck on with things. Um, to me, having done a lot of work in this space, unsurprisingly, you went into an abusive marriage. Yes. And the experience that you've just described leading up to this. So looking back, well, let's do first thing. We're looking back and then we we'll might dive into a bit of well, what you didn't know at the time. So looking yeah. back, like, is it, can you see why that unfolded? Yeah, 100%. I can can see all the reasons of how I ended up in that relationship. I mean, I met him in the strip club. (laughs) So that should have been the first red flag. Mm -hmm. He was never a client, but that's where I met him. Then Mm -hmm. secondly, we were engaged within five weeks of meeting each other. All that should have possibly been another red flag. But I can look back and see why I did that because I didn't have – from the very beginning, I didn't have a healthy masculine. And I'm really so incredibly fortunate that my mom went on to marry the man who I considered to be my dad, who is the most just, oh my God, incredible, incredible man who showed me how it can be, but the damage was already done. Right. So I needed to play out the unhealthy relationship. We so often do our parents' relationships again. Yeah. Yeah. I needed to do that, you know, and and here was this man doing all the perfect narcissist stuff of like, you're so beautiful, you're the most amazing woman I've ever met in my life, telling everyone how incredible I was. So, of course, that traumatised little girl was like, oh, my God, and he takes me shopping and buys me shoes and he tells me he loves me, he wants to marry me. Oh, my God. Yeah, of course, that's going to be – Enticing. So when does it change? Mm. It's interesting. So I knew before I walked down the aisle that he was abusive and narcissistic. All the signs were there. I was already having major, major panic attacks to the point of passing out. I would have a panic attack, pass out on the floor and often wake up like hours or the next day or whatever. So my body was already saying, what are you doing? Get the hell out of here. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I didn't listen. <laughs> Stop it. I didn't listen, obviously. I didn't listen. I didn't want to be embarrassed and, like, you know, cancel the wedding or be seen as, you know, whatever, I have to tell everyone. Um, but the signs were all there. Again, and yeah, it became, it became fully abusive on the honeymoon. Oh, wow. Um, we'll, yeah. we'll get to that. Uh, I just wanted to include it's like it's still that same pattern you talked about before of the worrying about what other people think. So you'd much rather go down a path that's, uh, for want of a better word, easier than have to lose face by cancer and worry about what people think. Wow. And I loved him, like if, but but you can almost see how unhealthily I loved him. So mm. the day before we got married, my best friend said, like, you know, you don't have to do this. I think even my, to be honest, I think even my mum might have said something very, very gently and testing the waters because they know with me if you push me, I'm going to be stubborn and go in the other direction. Yeah. But also when I look back now, like it's interesting, I have very clear memories of the wedding. If I look back now, it's almost sickly. There's, it's almost, you know, like there's only us and there's no one else in the room and I'm so in love with this person. <laughs> now, I thought that that was really, I thought, oh, my God, I'm experiencing love that other people don't get to have. This is the deepest thing I've ever experienced. And now mm. when I look at that, I'm like, no, no, I, that was just me hypnotised into something that wasn't happening oh the deepness was the hypnosis wow so so when we when you talk about abuse like verbal physical mm-hmm. oh, yeah wow. verbal physical emotional yeah when when i left that marriage i felt like i was dead inside i actually went to the doctor to go and get a blood test to see if i had any blood in my body Thankfully, I didn't know that there were other ways that I could have explored that. I'm very grateful that I didn't know because I know for some people that's their path. And, and yeah, so for me, I did go to the doctor and I wanted to see the blood come out to know that I was alive. Oh, shit. So are you okay to talk about that experience? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm yeah. sure others have experienced something similar. So so you're talking the moment you get to, to the location and... Like, on the honeymoon yeah, yeah. so um yes on the honeymoon actually on the plane it started on the plane <laughs> on the plane to our honeymoon so I had a really upset stomach and I needed to keep going to the bathroom and he was very mad at me about that I was ruining everything because I needed to keep getting up and going to the toilet on the flight so obviously he'd held things together as long as he could and by the time we we're on the flight he hated me because I needed to I was sick yeah. Um, and then by the time we got to, we were staying in this most beautiful place. By the time we got to the honeymoon, I was already trying to ring the airlines to see if I could book a flight to come back home. And there was like a biff between the two of us, but it was both of us. It wasn't just him. We both kind of got physical of him trying to make sure that I wouldn't. And I think I kind of slapped him back. Um, yeah, I don't even think I've ever told anyone that. So if my mom's watching, I'm sorry. If my mom's listening, I'm sorry. Um, oh, yeah. it, it started straight away. Yeah. Wow. We do all that we can in the moment to – it's like survival instincts kick in, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you hadn't stood up for yourself, who knows? 
like physically, who knows where that could have led. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it was a wild ride. It was much more um, mentally abusive, which is in some ways almost more challenging because that mental abuse stays with you for a very, 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 very long time. Yeah. The, the, so there was physical abuse too. Yeah, yeah the, I mean, the physical feeling goes but it's it is it's that mental side of the emotional side that continues to to ripple so you then go back home or did you stayed for the full duration i imagine or stayed yeah. for the duration yeah. and i went home yeah. and we bought a home together and <laughs> so there's still good moments in and amongst this like it was it was it a roller coaster it was definitely a roller coaster. There were definitely some good moments, but a lot of those good moments, to be honest, were were drug fueled. A lot of those mm. good. It's like he would see when things were going really bad, and then he would bring drugs into the picture to try to shift the mood and the energy. Which is funny. I would take it only to make him happy, not because huh. it's what I wanted, but I felt like I should do what he wanted, and so I would. I actually almost died one night from doing it so that was stupid but i can see it was yeah ecstasy ecstasy and coke yeah yeah um i definitely thought i was having an overdose one night and i didn't want to tell him because i was scared that he would get mad at me so you you chose potential death over upset oh my god i can't even comprehend what that must be like And I think this is the thing that people, like, unless you've been in these really heavily narcissistic, abusive relationships, you can't. And I used to look at people in abusive relationships many, many years before and think some not great things of like, you know, what what are these women doing? Why don't they just get up and leave? And it's not until you're in it that you realize how it loops you into this place that you can't see what's happening. And that quite literally I would have died rather than get him angry at me. Yeah, and and I still hear people sort of utter those sort of sayings, oh, why didn't they just leave? And it's like... You actually can't. No idea of the psychological battering and, and then it's the physical safety and, and all of those different things and, and what the uncertainty of what it looks like on the other side of that, right? Yeah, it's terrifying to leave. I tried to leave three times. I had removalist trucks packed and then and like rented places rented. And then I would freak out, make the removalist, unpack the truck and put everything back in before he would come home and find out what I'd done. Oh shit. Different removalist every time? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what was the What did get you out? He threatened suicide. So he was on a cliff and he, I think he was pretty serious. He had taken a lot of drugs and he was on the phone to me telling me I'm jumping, that's it. And I needed to be on the phone to emergency and to him at the same time while she's telling me what to ask him and I'm trying to give his answers out loud so she can hear and messaging my parents to like zoom across town to try to get to him before he did. And they took him to the hospital. I went to the hospital and then I lied for him. 
So when we got to the hospital, he told them that I was crazy and that that was never happening and that it was me and that I was crazy. And I agreed and I told the doctors that he was fine and I took him home. And I realized one of us is going to die in this relationship. Wow. Mm. And you decided there and then that was not going to be you. Nope. So, oh, man. So what steps did you take then? Like, like how did you then actually make that happen that you could get out? I let my mom know. I reached out for help. Nobody knew about all the other times I had tried to move out. Nobody knew what was going on. I mean, my, you know, family aren't stupid. You can see signs and there's not a lot that they could do. Um, But I didn't tell anyone what was going on. And then I would assume, actually, I've never asked my mom, but I would assume from her response, I think she was waiting for me. I rang her one day when she was at work and I was like, I need I need help. I need to get out of here and I need to leave. And she was in the car and at my house in minutes. <laughs> she, oh yeah, I'm getting goosebumps. She probably played that scenario out in her head time and again. She was, she was just waiting. Wow. Cause like you said, like in these situations, people can, can tell us to their blue in the face, but we have to come to the realization ourselves when we're yeah. stuck and playing the same loops. Yeah. If anyone had have tried to tell me to leave, I would have dug my heels in. And I would have fought for how amazing he was and I wouldn't have ever left. Yeah, you would have dug in, in stronger. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's hypnotism. It's like you're you're literally mind fucked. Mm. You, will literally, you will stand up for them no matter what. We are complicated creatures, aren't we? Yes, we are. <laughs> so how was that like... Can you remember just how hard that was the days and weeks after that moment? Yeah. Yeah. I was broken. I had to go on, I, I had nothing. Were you questioning the decision at all or, or not? No. I didn't question. I like I knew that that was the right decision, but I needed to be propped up and looked after by friends. So I went and slept on friends' couches or lived with friends or house sat for people because I walked away from that with his gambling debt. I had nothing. So I was just a broken human being who thought that I was a piece of shit who <laughs> had debt. Like it was bad. Wow. Hmm. So you take on the debt. So did you did you have any care or concern for his well-being at that point? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Actually, I remember the police calling me one day and saying that he, he was in jail for something. He was only in there for a few hours. I can't even remember what it was. And I also remember sticking up for him with that, even though the marriage was over, because I was worried about him. So... Yes, but I could see then that there was a problem. It's like I'm not going back to that mm. ever. Mm. So can you describe what that like that feeling broken was like and just how mm. we got in that time? I questioned everything about myself. I think that that's the hardest part of the broken is I questioned how did I get from being – because I was such a sweet – loving young girl like I was 
I was a dancer and I was happy. And you know, even though I'd had trauma stuff happen when I was young, I had such a beautiful life. I really had this incredibly gifted life and I was very, very happy. So I looked back at every question, like every decision I'd ever made in my life. And I started to question everything about myself because how could I put myself in that position and choose to stay in that position? And so then, and actually I went to a psychologist and to be honest with you, she was not the right person to go to because she made me question myself even more. But I started to then think that I was, I was crazy. I was like, oh, my gosh, I must actually be mentally not okay to have gotten myself into that situation and to have not been able to see it. And now I see that that was really just, I want to say victim shaming. I don't ever see myself as a victim of that, to be honest, but victim shaming is the only word that's coming to mind right now. Hmm. But I see that that's what I was doing to myself is, it, is just make everything about me wrong. I'm bad and wrong and broken. <sighs> So was there some pivotal moments or experiences or, or people or learning that, that helped you come out the other side, start growing? Yeah, I feel like there were, there were definitely a few things. I physically went and did trail walker. I don't even know if that still exists in Australia, but it's a 100-kilometre bushwalk that you do throughout the night. So I started to mentally um, challenge myself and to show myself that I was mentally capable and mentally strong and physically strong but also I started um, finding Tony Robbins that was really the beginning of my like I did the fire walk and I did and then dove into all of his stuff became quite deep in that for many many years because I was like oh my god I can start to heal this part of myself which then led me into finding the spiral so it's like this whole kind of world opened up which probably wouldn't have opened up had I have not had that experience you know so this is why i say i don't consider myself a victim of what happened it's something horrible that happened in my life it's really really rubbish i don't wish it on anybody and anybody who is in that position all i would say is please let somebody help you i know how hard it is but just tell one person like i wish i'd just told one person and allow people in to help you because there is life after that. And actually there's not just life after it. There's amazing, incredible, beautiful, bright, love-filled life that comes after that. And I don't honestly believe that I would be where I am right now if I hadn't have had that low. Yeah. Don't. And, And I'm a big believer in that sometimes if we don't, listen to the messages that it, it does require a big moment for us to to be shifted and it's sometimes a harder thing to face but it like you described it takes us out of being the victim and, and takes us into to being in a more empowered space we can't take back what's been but we can decide how we respond to that and i think that's a, Absolutely. That's a powerful powerful way of looking at it Absolutely. And if I think of myself as the victim, then I also need to think of myself as the self-abuser, to be honest, because I stayed there. Mm. Yeah. So so what you described there was finding Tony Robbins was like, okay, that allowed you to change direction. Not not just a get better, but now change direction into, into a whole other life path, which has taken you on this incredible journey that you've described in the last 10 plus years. Yeah. Was there... 
was there a pivotal moment in that change of direction that that just lit you up and and had you thinking okay now now i can really see where we're going here yeah so i had like another really intense wake up because it takes me a few a few wake ups to actually listen <laughs> so i'd been on that path and i'd been doing tony robbins and i was um i was working in a really intense career i used to work in events which is crazy they say that it's like one of i think the top three or four most stressful jobs in the world so it was really just stupid and stupid hours and i was working on an event one day here's another one i've put everybody else before myself i was there's a pattern here i was working on an event and i was getting these shooting pains down my arm and i couldn't breathe and i knew something was seriously wrong and i was too proud to tell anyone so i continued to stay i couldn't work i couldn't do anything so i was just texting my staff what to do and i should have been in an ambulance in an ambulance i had my blood pressure tested the next day and they used three different machines and two different people to test because they were like this is broken this is wrong you couldn't be sitting here with blood pressure like that you would be in the hospital are you having a heart attack or something? Shit. It's truth. That was the final wake up that I needed because I was like, so you would rather just die on an event than look after yourself? You are an idiot. Um, and that's when I found actually the spiral, which is a modality that I went on to teach for well, I was part of for a decade and teach for eight years because it completely changed everything and I realized that I could make rapid and fast change in my life and nothing has been the same since. That's cool. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, I think you're the second person that's mentioned this spiral in recent pods. It might have been, do you know Heather Bell Murphy? I'm sure it was her. I'll have to go back and listen. Can you can you can you tell us a little bit about this modality? The spiral? Yeah. Yeah, so it's created by an Australian guy, Dane Thomas, and it moves through seven sessions to be able to look at 21 of the most, I guess, um, story-filled or debilitating emotions that we can experience in our life. And it goes on to collapse the beliefs and the stories that we hold around each of those emotions. So the way, I guess, those emotions hold us back in the world and creates very fast like in seven weeks you see a very fast shift and a change in the way you show up in the world and all the old stories that are holding you back um yeah it's like an emotional clearing modality i guess i would also call it like a little bit of a um when i say ascension i don't mean like ascension as in spiritual ascension but i mean ascending up and out of all of the stuff that you've been holding on to for your life yeah, yeah. Um, it, it sort of twinged in my lower back, which is generally around receiving. So uh, I imagine there's a uh, an increase in lots of things, income, love, uh, yep. connection, all, all of the above. I want to go back to that heart attack thing. <laughs> so... 
Okay, so... Well, you say I nearly had a heart attack and then keep talking. Yeah, yeah well, the screen, I got kicked off the screen uh, for a second, so I got a bit, uh, okay. a bit um, distracted. Um, I've only ever had one other person, that a, a really good mate of mine, have a similar experience where it's like, how are you standing? Like he, he'd had a well, – playing football and he'd um, had the whole front of his head – the skull collapse from from a head clash, and he's like, I remember watching him walk off when people were going, "Oh, don't don't, don't sub him, like let him play on." And and the front of his head was like bubbling, like <laughs> there's something seriously wrong. And he walked into the into the place, and they're like, "What? Oh my god!" Like they they sort of rushed him through. So, have you made sense of? I believe that there there are moments where we are protected divinely because we have a greater purpose, right? Have you unpacked that moment and and any sort of confirmation or otherwise around that? It's interesting. So, well, my heart is actually my weak point in my body. And I've often had, yeah, so as a young girl, I couldn't play sports because I had what they thought was a heart murmur at the time. And then I had that high blood pressure and the, the, I mean, who knows how much of a heart attack that was, but there was definitely something not great going on. And then at other times in my life when I've not been following my path, my blood pressure has gone out of control. So I've had like probably two other massive scares, but I am very much into prenatal psychology and embryology and just kind of really nerding out in that area. And if you look at the moment that the heart comes online and begins to beat is around about usually about the same time that your parents find out that they're having a baby. So it's usually about like quite a similar moment. And so if there's not full celebration, it can create issues oh. with the heart. Yeah. Mind blown. It's the first moment of being seen and heard. Oh. So people say, oh, my God, sorry. I'm just like thinking about all the different people that I know that have had heart struggles. and <laughs> um, Yeah, wow. Fascinating. Well, tell me more about that. I'm straight away thinking, so my family, like I've spoken to my siblings around this and we go to hospital and we get things like, oh, you guys, you, you guys, you, like you must be a late athlete or something because our heart rate goes so, not not mm-hmm. not dangerously low, but like you know, around the high 40s, early 50s, which is, you know, usually someone who's a triathlete or something. Exactly. But I wonder what that means. Well, yeah, exactly. Is that there's a safety in the body. So my, Mm. I could never get mine to even go that low when I was sleeping. Like that's my, my heart rate is always crazy, crazy high. And, you know, I mean, I guess the fact of the matter for me is like my heart may well be the, the thing that is my final breath might be because of my heart because of how much it overworks. But, and with that, I mean, my, I am so wanted by my mom and by my family, but my mom was, um, my mom was 18 when she got pregnant with me. So there's no question that there was stuff that would have happened. You know, it's, I was not planned. I was a 
lovely surprise <laughs> into their life. And never in my life have I doubted whether my mom wants me. I know she does, but I haven't asked her. But I could pretty much guarantee that at the moment of finding out, it was probably a, oh, shit, this isn't, this is, whoa. <laughs> it's not oh, what we planned, yes. right? And so there is that quite literally wires into the physical body. There's so many different things that wire into our physical body when we're in the womb that just people don't don't look at and don't click into. That's where my work has taken me now. Like that's the bit that I'm interested in. Oh, I want to know what's the core belief and primary story someone started in the womb before they were born and how can I reset that story to shift what's going on in their life? Yeah, that is cool. Um, the other thought is I, I read something about the the uh, unborn child already has, the female unborn child already has the uh, the eggs created right. within like so the repercussions of that on then the flow on effect in terms of the energy is mind boggling, which is plays into how we can create generational change. When we change how we're showing up, that's how quickly we can ripple things through. Um, yeah. All right. So do I ask this now? I'm, I'm, I'm unsure about this because this is meant to be about you, but, but I'm, I just want to ask <laughs> I, can't, I can't get a yes, so I'll ask you after. Um, okay. I want to say too, like on that part about being in the in the like already in the womb before the baby is born. So then you need to look at what was happening for your grandmother in the nine months that she was pregnant. Well, actually, it's not the whole nine months. It's from about um, four months on that the eggs are in in the womb. But the end of her pregnancy, what was going on? But then literally, you're getting um, DNA imprinting that's happening from your grandmother. So like we really need to look and unpack these stories to understand that it's not just even energetic, it's it's physical. We're getting methylation of the DNA. We're getting markers and imprints on the DNA. And yeah, it's mm, wild. So cool. um, a, lot of, a lot of what I'm doing is uh, addressing the what, what I'm getting physically from people to help release the pattern the pattern and the behavior but it also then releases whatever's stored there as well but this is going back to sort of to uh to those moments so do you need to know what was going on there or how do you actually navigate that if you if you're working with someone yeah, so we don't need to know the story, but the, for me what I'm looking at is like imprint rewiring, so so different impact moments really um, yeah. throughout our life and at each of those impact moments, what is the primary story and core belief that we have created at that moment and how can we release that? Because if that's happening before you're even born, like your core belief is before you're even born, you can never, ever consciously find that. So for me, that's that's what I want to go back to is, how, is just spotting that and I use muscle testing to do it. So it doesn't have to be the client doesn't need to know any of their story. They don't need to know about their grandmother. They don't even need to need to know about their own birth or their own time in the womb, but you can go back and rewire it. Yeah, that's cool. And that's another great point for people to to, to hear because I think sometimes people will worry about like, oh, what am I going to have to wade through? And it's like, you know, like muscle testing, again, for those who are 
that way and needing of, of it is very scientific and you can get all the information around how that works but your body is basically constantly in communication with you but if you can get a yes or no i remember teaching my eldest uh the yes and no response and they were like can you do this for every question i'm like yeah and they were like <laughs> so excited right yeah very totally cool. yeah um so it seems like a good um segue into we're talking about grandmothers and you're saying that your grandmother was a, a someone who paid such a played such a pivotal part in your upbringing in your life and then that was a another major moment for you was was her passing so yeah i mean yeah. obviously if my mom was that young i spent a lot of time with my grandmother i lived with my grandparents like on and off over different periods of my life so that my mom could still as a single mom so that she could still work and and kind of create income to be able to look after us so yeah. i spent a lot of time with my grandparents to the point that my nan basically used to say that she was my second mom but i wish i don't know if my mom likes that very much but <laughs> i mean it's kind of it's kind of true right so but what i discovered when we were really close, but what I discovered when she passed was this realisation that no one in my life will ever look at me in the same way that she looked at me. And anyone who has close relationships with their grandparents, especially as their grandparents are getting older, could possibly have had this experience where you walk in the room and it doesn't matter what you do or what you say, they are like, hi, or you ring and they're like, hi. Oh, I've got to share this one with you, uh, Zephyria. When my grandma was 90, whatever she was, and she was in a nursing home and she had Alzheimer's, so didn't didn't really recognise anyone except her sons. And I walked into the, the, the home and from 50 metres away, her face just lit up. And that connection that you just talked about, she knew, she knew I was there to see her and she just... Yeah. And she just made a beeline for me. And it was such a magic moment of like I had to explain to her who I was and all those sorts of things. But just that connection, oh, yeah, it's so cool. So, yes, I very much know what you're talking about in terms of that. It's, it's, it's not better or worse. It's just a different connection than to your parents, right? It's, it's usually yeah. like a, it's a bit of a, uh, I don't know if spoilt's the right word, but it's usually like they can get away with shit that maybe parents can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly and they've already done all their hard work as a parent so like by the time their grandchildren come along they want to enjoy it and have fun and kind of yeah. you know have a different type of connection so yeah it was that that aha moment of i will never ever for the rest of my life have that experience again and yeah yeah that and was I, heartbreaking i bet and i bet that was magnified because because she would have been much younger grandmother and yeah. when most people experience so yeah. active and, and really uh, engaged, yeah. Yeah, and she was just, she was my cosy place to be. She was, so I don't know if you know anything about Heartwall, but I do some work with Heartwall. And when I looked at what mine was made out of, it was made out of my nan's flesh. Huh. So I, that was my safest place, was she was cuddly. Oof. I <laughs> cuddly felt that. Mm. felt that. Yeah. Oh, I completely forgot what I was going to ask now because yeah. you're making me think of all new things to talk about. So, 
So how long ago was that, your, your grandmother's passing? God, uh, it's gotta be like 2007, I think. Long time ago. Yeah, and so when you say it was heartbreaking, like was it was there a setback with that? Like, did it take you? Like, did it rock you a bit? It take you a while to sort of um, move through that? Yeah, yeah, and I think because I was in that marriage at the time, so there wasn't a safe place for me to grieve. Oh wow! Yeah, that would have really uh, amplified the impact. Yeah, yeah, I think it was just. I had to try and hold it in. And I remember not being able to a few times. I remember like spending one Christmas basically just in bed because I didn't want it the next Christmas. I didn't want to face Christmas without her. It was too, too hard. But I think it was just the, yeah, not having anywhere safe to let the tears out. And I had to try and pretend that everything was fine and it wasn't fine. Mm. Um, Do you have a connection with her now yeah how did she show up yeah so it's interesting she shows up to my mum more than to me and she shows up to my mum through orchids which actually right now my mum's living overseas so she doesn't have the orchids with her but she still gets photos so the orchids will bloom completely out of season and in all different colors usually either on the anniversary of her passing or on her birthday or on my mom's birthday or if my mom is asking me a question or is really upset and stressed out and she'll come home and suddenly like the orchids have fully bloomed and in a different color than what they were before oh stop it that's fantastic (laughs) i know it's amazing and she would send me photos and just be like oh my gosh they're black and then the next time she'd be like uh, now they're all white, and the next time, like they're all yellow. <laughs> it's really weird. It's pretty. So, amazing. what about? Yeah, what about for you? For me, it's more of a feeling. Like the, I'm such a feely type of a person. I can feel her when she's around, and when I need to know that I'm safe. Actually, she's also the reason that I knew I had to leave my marriage. She wasn't the reason that I fully left, but she, her and she had given me a unicorn like a, that she had made and my whole life when I was a little girl, she used to say, you're going to have that unicorn when I'm gone. Like that's how you'll know I'm here. And one day my husband threw a full champagne bottle at my head and I moved my head and it smashed that. And that was literally her saying, what the hell are you doing? Get out of here. So she. Oh. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> I know. So she's shown up intensely like that before, very strong when I need it. But usually it's just I can feel that she's there. Mm, I, I had I had someone there from the very start. It's like um, holding your head up. And I'm like, oh, who who is that? And it kind of it's like that. It's a it's a nice fit there, right? It's like yeah. it's almost like part of their always supporting you, uh, pointing you in the right direction. Yep. Exactly. Wow. I love these conversations where we go a little bit off tangent and yeah. might be some people listening going, what the fuck are they talking about? But <laughs> if I take, take the parts that, you, that make sense and leave what doesn't. But exactly to right. me it's like it's like the, the amazing tapestry of life and what's possible if, we, if we're just open to, to receiving what we might be receiving. Exactly. Now, 
you said that you had a another major loss and that was loss of business and loss of community now was this a different incarnation of your business so my own business kind of was run used to be running side by side of another business that i was business partners of and yeah i got cancelled <laughs> that was a an experience of witnessing a community that i had spent a decade nurturing and loving and supporting and two people within that community decided that they weren't happy with me and and just watching the the poison spread and yeah i had lost everything so i walked away with nothing from that business and i walked away with very little connection to anyone in that community just a small handful of people who i guess knew me and knew me well enough to know that really a lot of the reason that i was being cancelled wasn't a very fair representation of what was happening and yeah i mean that wasn't that actually really really knocked me around that took everything from me because it my i lost my business i didn't financially gain at all from like my share in the business my own business suffered because i was so devastated i was not capable of showing up for my own clients so for i've only really come back into my business in the last 6 months so i kind of shut down my business and i lost my relationship i like it just everything fell apart Com- completely 100% life fell apart I don't know if this is too early in the in the part for it but to me it's like um sometimes when we when we don't move things on that need to be moved on and they get moved on for us to help us with what we should be doing is that feel about right for that I knew that I should have already been walking away and had made steps towards walking away and then had stepped back in huh. yeah so- Were we talking it was the business when you say partner was the part business partner not not um oh business partner yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 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 so i mean you know they they sold their business and so it's no it doesn't no longer belongs to them either and they also had their own fallout from what was happening but i feel like um it wasn't healthy for everybody and i'm the one that stuck around they were they were smart and it kind of started to step away i started to step away and then went no i'll go back do you know why you went back? Um yes, because I was being a martyr because I felt like I was responsible to I felt responsible to that community because I had spent so long building it. Mm, yeah, right. And what yeah. what what did you get called out on, if you don't mind me asking? So it was cultural, so there were there were cultural bubbles that were happening within the community and really it's um more so that I was the one in the leader's seat and somebody needs to be held accountable for what they feel isn't right in the community to be totally honest with you I still have not had a straight answer from anybody like there were two people who were really rumbling and causing issues but I still have not had a straight answer of hey Zafira you did this or you said this but I know that they weren't happy with um culturally how people of color were being held within that community and so 
as much as I tried to create some very beautiful, loving environments for those conversations to happen, it wasn't enough and somebody needed to be taken down for it. So, uh, yeah, let's go straight to the top. Uh, I'm glad you said your name back to me just now because I, that's the question I, I asked very early on before. I think it was before you hit record. Like, yeah. Is that your real name? Um, and is there a story? <laughs> that's when the laughter started because you were like, oh, yeah, there's a story. So can you give us a short version? <laughs> it's always a story, right? Um, yeah. Like I didn't even know. It would have been similar to about a decade, yeah, about a decade ago. I had two different shamanic mentors who separately messaged me on the same day or within a couple of days of each other saying you have a different name this name that you're using using isn't your name you need to go and find out what your name is go and sit in meditation I sat in meditation and I hear Zephyria and I'm like what <laughs> like I can't message both of them separately I'm like Zephyria <laughs> lots of question marks yeah. and they're both like yes and that name is your name of, so this might mind Ben for some people who are now going to be like, oh, she's so woo, but anyway, whatever. That name is the name that I am living a concurrent timeline, a concurrent life with, and that I needed to embody that name in this life as well. So so I did. Awesome. And and I, I haven't got one specifically around name, but I did have three different people. Uh, I wouldn't say they call themselves shamans but they were definitely energy workers three different people within a space of a month say to me oh yeah yeah you, you uh you've got like a past life or a, a some might have said past life some might have said like a an energy of a merlin type character now they all use the same word right and it's like how, how is that even possible and why would that show up all at once right and again, for those who are like going, well, yeah, again, what are they talking about? It's like take what you take what you want out of it and leave exactly. what you don't. But for me, it was just confirmation of what I was already experiencing was, you know, you call it magic or whatever, but but, I, but being able to create shifts through what I was doing. So for you, what like was there a a sudden uh, increase or did, did things shift for you quickly when you went with the change? Yeah, so I probably spent a year growing into the name. So I would introduce myself, and I don't really, I'm not going to say the name, so I would introduce myself as my other name and then say, but I prefer to be called Zephyria or that my spiritual name is Zephyria or whatever in spaces that that was appropriate. And then as I grew into the name, which is funny, when I first would say it, people would be like, what? So what? And then now everyone will ask me how to pronounce it, but nobody really gets it wrong. So the more I owned it and embodied it, it's now just that's my name. But it did take probably a year or two to really anchor it in. Now, I feel like we've shared a heap of what it is that you do, but is there anything else you want to share for people of like, well, this is is the essence of what I do and where they can reach you? Mm, Sure. So actually I'm going to, I've created like a little website to give you to provide a gift to all your listeners as well. So that is one way that they can reach out and get a very small taster of what I do. But really my focus is on supporting 
people to live the best life that they can possibly live. And so to release the old stories that have been holding them back in any area of their life. And for me, I really call it now like ecstatic living and it's just to start to set them on the path of ecstatic living. I do that through a load of different ways through teaching emotional clearing and through teaching practitioners. I also teach brain rewiring. I teach all of those prenatal pieces that I was sharing with you. So I teach kind of sexuality, sensuality work. (laughs) It's like there are so many different paths to what I do. Um, But all of it is with that intention of how do I support people in releasing the past so they can step into the greatest version of themselves. And I feel like anyone who's like, I don't know, feel like I would like to know more, just like follow me, claim the free gift to start with, because I mean, hello, who doesn't want a free gift? Absolutely. Absolutely. And make sure you take action on that gift because uh, I'm sure every, lots of people have got the uh, the free thing sitting in their inbox still not doing anything. <laughs> so real. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Actually do it. It's only like I think three videos. It's not hard and it will already make shifts in your life. So please actually do the gift. Awesome. Make sure that's in the show notes. So whatever platform you're on, go and grab that link and take your gift and take the action. Nice. Um Thank you. And thank you for creating something specially for this audience. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, I can see now while we had such a great conversation, we do very similar work. Again, it just shows that there's a million different ways to, to get solutions. You're coming at it from a whole lot of different angles, different modalities, but essentially it's like find the person that fits and, and if Zafiri is that person, then, yeah, check her out and, and uh, get involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing so openly. Um, that was a blast. I, I felt myself smiling, smiling a lot through that as well as perhaps uh, holding like, on for the ride a couple of times as well. Uh, thank you. That was awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. I was, uh, I think that's probably, I mean, I told you I would be an open book. I'm pretty sure that is the most open that I've been in any podcast. So I definitely have just shared a heap of things that I've not shared in other places. Or actually, a lot of those stories are in my, the next book that I'm writing, which is just a whole other story. But um, yeah, so that to me just says a lot about the space that you hold that I felt safe enough to share everything. So I want to thank you so much for the work that you're doing with this podcast. And really there's a, there's podcast interviewers and there's podcast interviewers, you know, there's people that really just ask a bunch of questions and there's people that provide an experience. So I want to say thank you for providing an experience for me that hopefully then also supports your listeners in, in kind of my, my story. So thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you so much, Zafiria. Awesome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.